This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. What's up everybody and welcome to another episode of Wrestling with Jonners. This is episode 131 and today we're going to be doing two things that we've never done before. We're going to be talking about Ring of Honor and we're going to be doing a draft type episode. So we're going to be trying to create uh, the 15 best or most important Ring of Honor world champions in history dating back from 2002 when it first started through to present day and I've got two guests via Skype here on the Wrestling with Jonners podcast both from the Broken but Glorious Wrestling podcast and I've got Oliver and Stephen both from the Ring of Honor review show as part of Broken but Glorious uh, so Stephen and Oliver good evening thanks for joining us on the Wrestling with Jonners podcast how are you both? Yeah, really well. Um, had a wonderful day. I'm enjoying the sunshine here on uh, Victory in Europe Day, VE Day. Uh, a strange bank holiday with it normally being uh, May Day bank holiday, but moved across to the uh, to Victory in Europe Day. But no, really good. Uh, how about you, Oliver? How are you doing? Well, I was uh, I was just outside before we started this. I started singing, and there was grey skies. So if it rains, probably my fault. <laughs> but uh, apart from that, uh, yeah, just it's a nice chilled out day. Um, realised probably this afternoon that we were doing this podcast this evening, got Stephen involved quite quickly. And here we are. Here we are. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, we, this is not the first podcast we've done with the, the Broken But Glorious uh, gang. We've spoken to Chris and Nick. We had them on uh, to do a retro pay-per-view review. We covered WrestleMania 8 just before WrestleMania 36, so only last month. And uh, we've got the two of you on. We, we've not spoken before. You've not been on the Wrestling With Jonas podcast, uh, but you are part of the Broken But Glorious uh, wrestling podcast team. Um, but as I mentioned at the top of the show, both yourself, Oliver, and Stephen, you uh, host together your co-hosts of the ROH review part of the Broken But Glorious uh, family so, so tell us a bit about that show starting with you Stephen tell us a bit about the the, the ROH review and how, when did it first start and, and when did you and Oliver kind of get together to do this show yeah it was um I mean it's kind of a funny story really but I was actually approached by uh, uh Chris who um, runs Broken But Glorious back about a year ago um, to join him and him and Oliver on a special, much like we're talking about today, for the top 10 Ring of Honor World Champions. Ah. And I'd I'd been writing for a long time with the Wrestling Estate about Ring of Honor and had been dubbed the Ring of Honor expert. So I kind of, my profile had kind of, you know, grown in that regard, both current and past and things. And from there we kind of had a really great great episode and me and oliver stayed in touch and when ring of honor um got its deal in the uk which um was about november last year november 2019 oliver hooked up with me again on twitter and said would you like to look at you know reviewing the show together and see what we can come up with and you know from there we've you know we started a conversation and you know the podcast's kind of gradually grown to what it's become you know now in the present day and I mean you know it's just such a wonderful 
experience to be able to for two for two guys who are fans of a company which you know has been a passion of ours for so long to be able to then talk about it and it be covered by i'm sorry be um be listened to and be seen by so many not only fans but industry professionals has been unbelievable i mean you know you as well over must kind of i mean we both kind of share the same story but that's my take on how it began how about yourself oliver yeah, um, I think you're being too modest there, Stephen. Um, depending <laughs> on the DMs from way back when, I think you, uh, Chris, spoke to you about being on the ROH uh, top 10 uh, world champions. And then I think I got involved because I, uh, you know, obviously loved the company. And then we did a follow up one, which was the top five uh, ROH tag team champions. Um, we stayed in contact. Uh, you're right about uh, obviously the ROH review. Um, once the UK TV deal was in place, and Stephen had been kind of saying, "You've got to watch this. It's fantastic." And I'm like, "No, no, no. I've heard ROH is going for a really tough spell." And then the TV deal was in place, and it was like, "Okay, well now it's on the UK TV. I don't have to go out my way to see it necessarily. I'll give it a whirl." And then we saw Alex Shelley versus Jonathan Gresham. And that was when it was set in stone that we have to um, we, we, we have to talk about Ring of Honor again. Uh, we, we're both like an underdog with Stephen being a Huddersfield Town fan and me being a Birmingham City fan. Um, <laughs> got to put that in there. Uh, so we, we're both like an underdog and ROH was going through a tough time. Um, we love the company and slowly but surely by doing the show uh, week after week we realised that the critics were wrong as they tend to be when it comes to wrestling and with our passion, drive and determination about the company we you know, we um, made the ROH review what it is and six months down the line um, you know, 17,000 plus listeners uh, 800 plus YouTube views uh, since January and November 2019 respectively so we must be doing something right and like Stephen mentioned there uh, if you look at our Twitter account it's followed by the wrestlers so that's a huge compliment yeah. to both of us showing that we are doing uh, you know great work and it's being most appreciated by the people who matter the most which is the the guys and girls who go in the ring bust their ass yeah. um and and we respect them for that and we just want to uh bring positivity back to the podcasting world and i guess to we we kind of call it and and say how it is but um yeah we're, you know we're, we've just got a passion for this it's just two guys and and it's incredible how far we've come you know, yeah, branching definitely. off to an ROH interview series, for example, which we never thought we'd do. But it's, you know, it's been an amazing growth over the last six months. So, so let me ask you both then, where did your kind of passion or your love for Ring of Honor start then? So I'm guessing you, you're both longtime wrestling fans. But I mean, go, go back to you, Stephen, you know, Ring of Honor is obviously your, your specialism, your your wheelhouse. But when did you first come across Ring of Honor? And why Ring of Honor predominantly? Yeah, um, the company itself came to my attention through 
the wrestling channel. Uh, those of you who are listening from the UK, um, it was you know a Sky channel back in about 2003, 2004, which popped up on my uh, Sky Guide, the wrestling channel. And being an avid WWE fan, I was kind of oh i wonder what this is this is interesting 24 hour you know wrestling you know before the network it's like oh, this mm. is interesting and then i'd seen you know it, it opened my eyes to so many different promotions from impact from frontier martial arts wrestling in japan to noah and ring of honor suddenly appeared on my on the list and one evening ring of honor was on and i believe the show as i've written in an article for the wrestling estate which i saw for the first the first show i saw was Midnight Express Reunion, which is notorious for having some of the worst um, worst production in a history of a Ring of Honor show, because when I watched it on the TV screen, I could not see very much of what was going on. Some of the brightness had to be put up to full full pelt on the TV, and the and the volume had to be put fully up. <laughs> and, um, but I was seeing guys who I'd never seen before, so like guys like Jack Evans, guys like Roderick Strong, um, Christopher Daniels, uh, Brian Danielson, AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, and the whole presentation and the whole ethos of Ring of Honor just grabbed me. You know, the respect, the code of honor, the athleticism, the um, strong style aspect to it, and it was just such an alternative to the WWE, to other North American wrestling promotions. It didn't really fit in with that kind of. It didn't have the big pyro, it didn't have big staging, it didn't have the big promo segments at the beginning of the show. It was a lot more sort of about the in-ring action. And it just grabbed me from there. And then that fandom has grown substantially over the past you know, 15 years to the point where, you know, I went out and with my student loan, uh, sorry, my student sort of um, student money I would get, my, um, you know... Uh, Oh, not student loan. The um, like money you get with you when you become a student. You know, I just yeah. buy Ring of Honor DVDs, um, Christmas birthday money, Ring of Honor DVDs, everything online, message boards, everything. Looking for things just about Ring of Honor, and would avidly collect the shows, would avidly listen to all of the you know reviews, read the reviews, and it just became part of my you know life. If anything, Ring of Honor yeah. has become a huge part of my life and I feel hugely passionate about the company. And from seeing its early days back in the Murphy Rex, going back and looking at them and then seeing where they are now, although there's been a lot of critique about those years when the Sinclair broadcasting era began and that it had lost a lot of its flair. There's been some great matches in that era, which a lot of people have missed out on because they lost faith in the company. But I've stuck with it. I've loved it. I've seen a lot of great stuff. And... It's my, you know, sort of, um, I wouldn't say baby, as that sounds a bit of a cliche, I wouldn't put it that, but it's my expertise. In wrestling, if you had to ask me anything, Ring of Honor would be, or Mastermind, what would I want to talk about? It would be Ring of Honor, hands down, Ring of Honor. Absolutely. And and, and Oliver, uh, when did you first fall in love with with Ring of Honor? Why does it mean so much to you? Well, if I was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and Ring of Honor come up as, as a subject, I think I'd have to... You know, when it comes to phone a friend, it would probably have to be Stephen. That'd be answer what Stephen said. Um, okay, so for me, uh, magazines, so Power Slam, um, yeah. seeing pictures and reading results and thinking, this homicide character sounds interesting, but well, he's a wrestler. And 
CM Punk and uh, Raven, and they were, they were talking about the feud between the two. And then, obviously, my modern-day favourite wrestler, Paul London, um, and and hearing about, um, you know, the incredible street fight that he had with Michael Shane at uh, ROH Unscripted, and basically seeing like little clips and stuff online and uh, before YouTube and stuff. And then, uh, much like Stephen, uh, the Wrestling Channel, which Showcase slash uh, Fight Network UK are trying to recreate as we speak. Um, you know, we've, we've obviously ROH back on UK TV screens, amongst other things. Um, so, yeah, Wrestling Channel, and like Stephen said, Pro Wrestling Noah, uh, New Japan, World of Sports, uh, Frontier Wrestling Alliance, and, and then ROH come up and... Basically, they did Supercard Sundays, and I'm sure Stephen remembers that. And um, yeah. I think Unscripted was one of them. And I, I, like, I finally got to see that match, and um, I was just blown away. Uh, you know, Paul London climbing a ladder that's broken, like literally broken, gets to the top, the fans chant, please don't die. And he hits a picture-perfect shooting star press off the ladder. And the, the fans chanting match of the year in ROH and stuff. And I, my mind was just blown because much like Stephen, a WWE fan, uh, I saw a little bit of British wrestling in 2001 with uh, Frontier Wrestling Alliance's uh, revival on Bravo and then the wrestling channel. Um, bit of a lapsed fan of WWE with, um, uh, say, about the 2004 5 mark and because I saw ROH on the wrestling channel, um, much like Stephen. Uh, he's not sure whether it's student money, student loan, probably a bit of both. I <laughs> would I would use uh, that, that money, and we, we, I'm sure we both took advantage of the buy free, get one get one free sales, and all of a sudden you got one ROH DVD, and you got 20, and so on and so forth. And yeah. um, I was building a heck of a collection up and then they decided to run 50 shows a year and i got poor quickly so um yeah and while steven stayed with it i have to admit i've been a lapsed fan um probably from about 2002 to 2009 was my era uh, for roh up until that like hd net saw a few sporadic shows after that and then uh, from speaking to steven and knowing what you know, he was very passionate and uh, very passionate about ROH and like trying to get me to watch it. You know, God bless him for trying. And then the <laughs> and then ROH was on UK TV, and like I said, it the ROH review was cemented with uh, Jonathan Gresham versus Alex Shelley at Glory Burner uh, last year. That was the main that was the main match of the first show. And once me and Stephen had watched that, it was like, yeah, we need to do this. Yeah, yeah. So, so talk to us a little bit about the current picture within uh, ROH then, because it's gone through, it's gone through a lot of changes over the last few years. It's had its uh, kind of, you know, grey patches, shall we say? It's, it's recently had new owners. A lot 
lot of the talent that made Ring of Honor what it was has gone elsewhere. We'll talk about that in a moment. You've now got Marty Skrull. He's in as, as the head booker. And it appears to be going through a bit of a, a bit of a reboot, you could say. Um, do, do you think the Ring of Honor kind of lost its identity somewhere down the line? And then it's, it's starting to find itself again and starting to get noticed. And do you think that... that Ring of Honor deserves to be kind of recognized as a serious promotion again because it seems to be sometimes a forgotten promotion that isn't always on everybody's lips when it comes to wrestling conversations. But uh, Oliver, what, what would you say to that? See, um, ROH has got its uh, fingerprints all over the wrestling industry. Um, everyone who's anyone has come for a Ring of Honor. Um, and you talk about like transition periods and stuff. There's a reason why they're still in business 18 years later. They, they've lost some of the biggest stars and just reinvented themselves. Um, in terms of the, the identity side of things, me and Stephen campaigned for 13 weeks for the pure title slash pure wrestling division to come back. And that was going to be in place. But obviously the sh- shows were either postponed yeah. or cancelled. Um you know, you, you talked about at, at the beginning about past versus present. That was a huge show that unfortunately got uh, postponed, cancelled again. Uh, Marty Skrull being the, the booker and, and being a wrestler for the company is uh, a, a fantastic move in the right direction because he's a student of the game. Um, he's obviously shown uh, loyalty to Ring of Honor when he could have gone elsewhere. He kind of wants to to rebuild something rather than be part of something that's already built, if you know what I mean. Mm. So I think, and, and obviously Quest for the Gold was, was coming up as well, women's wrestling uh, title tournament, which me and Stephen are big advocates of women's wrestling. So ROH had the, um, the pieces of the puzzle falling into place before uh, the coronavirus. Everything was, was on the up. I mean... You know, we, we go back to the, the January show, uh, Saturday night at centre stage, the changing of the ROH World Six-Men Tag Team titles from Villain Enterprises to Mexi Squad was one of the best wrestling booking decisions of 2020 and really set ROH on the right path. And I think that's when Marty took over as, book, as booker. So um, under Marty with uh, Sinclair Broadcasting Group's uh, backing and money and everything that was put in place afterwards, ROH was going to have a fantastic 2020. And then the coronavirus come along and, and saw to that, unfortunately. <clears throat> yeah. And and Stephen, any any thoughts on my, my little statement there? But it kind of went through a bit of a rough patch, didn't it, to where potentially it lost its identity and it was trying to find itself again. But now with Marty as the head booker, things seems to be on the up and up again. It's just a shame that this coronavirus kind of hit when they were starting to find their stride. Yeah, I think, um, you know, from stick, sticking with the company during that period when you know, Oliver was kind of a lats fan, you know, once the Sinclair period started, of two, it was sort of June 2011 when Sinclair Broadcasting purchased Ring of Honor. A lot of fans felt that Ring of Honor had sold out. That it wasn't, and it, it always had the passion of being the independent premier company. That indie wrestling was built on Ring of Honor in the sense that if you were an indie wrestler, you went to Ring of Honor. But they'd kind of sold out in the sense that they'd been bought by Sinclair. And I kind of get that, but yeah, at the same time, you know, Ring of Honor financially was struggling, and it's a decision which a lot of people disagreed with. <laughs> but you look at how 
it's so many talents since then have come through the company and have grown and you know have been made stars through the company and the new japan relationship as well i think really peaked the attendance figures and really peaked that kind of interest because you had guys like shinsuke nakamura hiroshi tanahashi kazuchika okada who at that point were just being seen via the uh, new japan you know Ustream service but then being able to see them in north america as part of new ring of honor that relationship had grown which helped New Japan then to break out into the North American market, which hindered Ring of Honor in a sense because that attraction kind of overshadowed their own talent. So there was kind of a bit of it was a bit of a double edged sword in a sense that they were actually growing, yet they were hindering their own talent. So then from there, it was a bit of a battle between the two of them. And I think with this, say, like 18 months as well, with the whole aw debut so cody left the company the young bucks yeah. hangman page a lot of talent who were grown through ring of honor um have left the company and have gone on to aw which is great you know doing great things phenomenal things but they were you know given a second lease of life or grown especially in the case of hangman page and ring of honor but now they're in AEW, that kind of left a huge gap to fill in the company. And I think 2019 was a period where Ring of Honor was trying to find that, fill that gap, what had been left by all of those great talents. And they have got the talent there. They have got the um, stars there. Marty taking control of the booking is a great decision because Delirious has been working so hard and he has suffered, I believe he's suffered from burnout because booking Ring of Honor is a really big responsibility. Gabe suffered from it. Gabe Sapolsky suffered from it, sorry. Um, Adam Pierce, who took part of the book, he suffered from it and then Delirious took it. So I think Marty taking control shows a lot of faith in him and that he's obviously earned his stripes in the company and people have faith in him. And I feel that it's a good time. Fair enough, the coronavirus has hit, so we're in a difficult period with, you know, the um, current live situation as we all are for all companies. But up until that point, Ring of Honor were looking at producing some really exciting and some really innovative shows which you know myself and Oliver were really excited to cover in and were showcasing a lot of independent talent once again who mm. ha- had been seen in different promotions so I think they have suffered but I feel that they, they are heading back uh, they are becoming part of the ring uh, sorry the wrestling kind of you know um community again they've kind of been underground for the past few years but now they're coming back into that area again that top three and it's good to see you know and i'm just glad that people are paying interest more to ring of honor because it's a company which has been around for a long time it's got a great back catalog it's got a great current crop of talent and i'm excited for what the future holds and i just hope the coronavirus doesn't kind of affect things even more so than already because the future's bright 
let's put it that way. <laughs> mm, exactly. And like I say, we'll be talking about the future in a moment, but kind of looking at the past and you look at companies like AEW and NXT and WWE. And when you look at NXT in particular and WWE as well, there's so many big names, top names that are currently working for those two groups under the WWE banner, of course, that have passed through Ring of Honor, that, that were um, big names in Ring of Honor, previous champions of Ring, Ring of Honor. And a lot of people were saying at one point that Triple H has kind of modeled NXT on Ring of Honor from, say, five, six, seven, eight years ago. Um, does, does it make you proud to see these wrestlers, what they've accomplished and kind of where they are now? And then the second part of the question is, what sort of you know, for, for any of my listeners that are not too familiar with, with Ring of Honor, who are the, the current superstars that you're excited about in Ring of Honor that we should be keeping an eye on and that are going to do big things with that promotion? So uh, start with uh, Stephen, sorry. Yeah, um, hugely proud. You know, when Adam Cole won the next NXT World Championship, a man who I saw debut 2010, remember it vividly, the pre-match promo with Kyle O'Reilly, who is part of the Undisputed Era. Um, I knew from that instant, this man is going to be the second coming of Shawn Michaels. This man is going to be a star in the industry. And you look at him now in NXT and he's mm. just one of the biggest talents in the world. And he's young and he's just grown and he's an incredible wrestler. I mean, you look at Claudio Pastagnoli, a.k.a. Cesaro, you'll, you'll realise as well as I do this podcast that I refer to people by the Ring of Honor names as opposed to their uh, WWE names. Oh, <laughs> it's just one of those fine. things that I do. <laughs> but um, yeah, so Cesaro, again, one of those guys who, European, unique moveset, has all the tools, and he just went and he's been so amazing in WWE. Hasn't always had his due, but every mm. time he's he's put his heart and soul into everything he's done, he's put on great match after great match after great match. Kevin Steen, a.k.a. Kevin Owens, once again, one of the most unique characters and unique wrestlers in you know the past 15 years. Ring of Honor, you know, he was able to find his niche. Had that incredible feud with El Generico, a.k.a. Sami Zayn continued into nxt and then he's gone into you know wwe and just lit it on fire against john cena against you know just all the talent in you know the company yeah and i do believe that triple h has he's a student of the game is triple h he knows what works he knows what fans want to see he knows what's current he's very savvy to the international wrestling scene and he wants to create the best you know show in the world you know in the world what's available you know to fans to be able to watch and i feel proud as well that there have been a lot of articles on the ring of sorry on ring of honor on the wwe website where there was an article which discussed their sort of before they became wwe stars and it talked about various wrestlers who went through the ring of honor system such as seth rollins you know and uh, cesaro who i just mentioned and you know roderick strong and it and it kind of alerts people then to this other promotion and of the into the second question the wrestlers i would say who i mean oliver will know this answer because obviously he's listened to me for the past you know six months <laughs> he knows the wrestlers who are my favorite wrestlers in the company but i urge all wrestling fans there are there are th two wrestlers in particular i urge all wrestling fans to seek out from ring of honor and they are Jonathan Gresham, who Oliver just mentioned earlier on, and the masked luchador Bandido, who is one of, if not the best high flyer in the world today. And 
those two, when they finally have a singles match in Ring of Honor, when that does happen, will be... If I could get a front row seat to any match in the world, that would be the match I would want to see more than any in this whole world right now. (laughs) It's just... They're unique. They have great charisma. They have great in-ring work. They're young. They're hungry. They're fresh. And they're exciting to watch. So they're the two, I would say, who definitely, to me, are going to make huge rifts in the industry. Um, And then I'll pass it over to Oliver now to kind of... uh, explain his side of things yeah we're you know we're always extremely proud to uh to see rh wrestlers come through either nxt or WWE. i mean you know keith lee and and uh donovan uh dijak and that's uh dominic Dijakovic now uh when they had their awesome match at the recent nxt takeover I think, you know, I tweeted about it and, and the whole show and stuff. And, like, the majority of the people who are on the show were in Ring of Honor at some point. So it goes to show how important the company is, whether they've had, like, a cup of coffee or had a long, uh, distinguished career. Um, you know, Ring of Honor wrestlers are, are in high places in, in the big companies in the world. Um, you know, Steven's gone through a lot of them, but... Uh, one of the major ones for me, and this is a, a bit of a plug for my book and stuff, but uh, the phenomenal AJ Styles is debuting in 2016. Um, and then what happened in that year for him, I, I think if he hadn't have gone through Ring of Honor twice um, when he when he was wrestling for New Japan at the same time, uh, that the second time round he wouldn't have had the success that he's had in WWE, I don't think because he, he really turned it up when he was in New Japan slash Ring of Honor. And then Samoa Joe, who should have been WWE or Universal Champion by this point, um, had that match against Brock Lesnar at Great Balls of Fire, should have won hands down, didn't happen. So, um, yeah, it's just... And then obviously uh, Tyler Black, Seth Rollins... Yeah. Um, he, he really found his interview chops in WWE where the Ring of Honor fans were chanting at him, you're going to be a WWE jobber. Um, and yeah, uh, so yeah, in, in terms of that, we're always incredibly proud because, you know, uh, we want Ring of Honor wrestlers to to either go on to great things uh, and, and earn, you know, get the money they deserve for the hard work they've put in in, uh, in the company or to do uh, amazing in the company. And then in terms of the second part of your question, who to look out for? Um, well, I think before we became Booker, it was it was Marty. Um, he should have been Ring of Honor world champion before this point. I'm not sure if he can go into that position now. Um, there wouldn't be favoritism or politics involved. He's just one of the very best in the company. But obviously, as a booker, you've really got to be careful. Um, so to try and differentiate from what Stephen said, I'll say Marty. And I'm going to go with Overkill Mark Askins. I think he's mm. been really consistent. And he's, uh, he's pretty much promo interview before the 18th year anniversary gave me goosebumps to the point where me and Stephen were like okay um 
Roosh has just re- you know regained this RH World Title, but we really want it to go to Mark Askins. So I think, um, yeah, 2020 is going to be a huge year for for Overkill slash the Preacher's son Mark Askins. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So thank you for kind of giving me your 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 take on ring of honor and uh why you fell in love with the promotion it's clear uh that if either of you are on mastermind or who wants to be a millionaire you, that would definitely be your chosen <laughs> subject but uh, what we're going to do is we're going to try and create the ultimate uh top 15 of ring of honor world champions and uh, there, there could be recent names in there past names obviously it's got an 18 year history so quite a few names to choose from but when i was doing my research i was quite surprised to see that in the 18 years there's only been 27 world champions so uh, I, I just assumed in my head without doing the research there would have been more um so out of the 27 we're going to be looking at 15 of those combined so the the, the, the point of this game and that this uh, kind of topic is for each of us to come to the table with uh f- five wrestlers that we consider to be either the best or most important ring of honor world champion for whatever reason and to kind of state our claim or to state our case as to why that person is on our list and should be in the ultimate 15 uh it won't be in any particular order there won't be a ranking system one through to 15 it will just be right you're in the 15 there we go that's kind of our list um so we're going to start with uh, let's start with oliver then so uh who is uh first on your list who's the, the first uh player out of your your list of five then oliver and state your case very clearly as to why you think uh this wrestler um as a former ring of the world champion should be in our ultimate 15 yeah uh for me this is kind of my era and stuff so um, I, I guess not in any particular order, but I'm, I'm going to go with this person first, Austin Aries. Um, you know, to topple Samoa Joe after his historic title reign, um, to like come into the company, but um, you know, in, in a huge way at Generation Next uh, 2004, and then what another seven months later you've beaten the ROH world champion at that point um he did it in a in a fantastic way the fans went crazy for the finish they uh, loved the title change and then uh Austin Aries went a different way with the ROH world title he took it around the world and defended it um you know I think there was one match where he defended it in Mexico against uh, Ricky Marvin and Super Crazy. So, um, you know, just just that really. He, he had like a, a six-month reign, uh, maybe a little bit longer. And, um, yeah, just an explosive wrestler. Um, fantastic on the ground in, in terms of technical wrestling and submission wrestling. Uh, the, the crucifix bomb was something he made famous, um, and the 450 splash as well. He, he did it with such grace and, and style, and um, yeah, just uh, a really amazing uh, wrestler and well worthy of being ROH world champion. Mm, definitely and, and he only won the championship once didn't he but he held the title for about six months uh from december 04 through to june 05 so he had a good run um and uh like i say we, we have seen him kind of uh float through the wwe and uh he was a cruiserweight cruise champion at one point he certainly wrestled for the championship i think it was in a pre-show at wrestlemania so he's certainly in the mix there but uh um yeah uh Stephen, any thoughts on austin Aries? 
Yeah, he actually. You, you might need to correct him there, Stephen. He was a two-time Ring of Honor World yeah, Champion. Was he? Um, he won the title. <laughs> yes, yeah, he won the title back in 2009. Um, with uh, and then he had a great feud with Tyler Black. Yeah, so he held the title for about 270 days in 2009. Yeah. He was the first two-time champion in Ring of Honor history as well. So, um, yeah. yeah, absolute. Yeah, absolutely. Austin Aries. He reminds me very much of Chris Jericho in the sense that he was always able to reinvent himself, cocky but able to, you know, um, back it up. He was always able to deliver in the ring, versatile, um, very technically sound. The matches he had against Alex Shelley, the matches he had against Brian Danielson, um, Tyler Black, uh, Davy Richards, um, Roderick Strong. He, he always was able to mold to his opponents and that and that win against Samoa Joe when he actually won the championship um at final battle 2004 was probably the biggest moment at that point in ring of honor history if not the biggest moment in that you're toppling the kind of mythical champion who nobody can stop the fact that Austin Aries was able to do that um I mean if you see the clips online you can see how the crowd reacted and it was unreal you never thought it would actually happen and then when it did it was just you know unreal and how he was able to then carry the championship forward from there was you know a real feat in itself so definitely agree with austin aries being in this top 15 yeah Stephen, let's have your your number <laughs> one uh, pick then yeah so it has to be uh the american dragon uh brian danielson um when it when I think of the Ring of Honor World Championship, um, always think of Brian Danielson's historic and innovative reign. He wrestled everyone and anyone. He was at his peak in 2005 to 2006 when he held the belt. He was just so crisp, so good. Nobody was better than him. The feud he's had with Roderick Strong, as I've just mentioned, the feud he's had with Nigel McGuinness and Oliver Mayenvit was actually at Unified where he faced uh, Nigel McGuinness in a um, title versus title match for the Ring of Honor Pure Championship as well as the Ring of Honor World Championship in Liverpool, um, which was one of the greatest matches in Ring of Honor history. Um, He had incredible matches against Lance Storm, he, he was just able to wrestle everybody, create great matches with everyone. And he just held the championship like a true champion. He just, the era, sorry, the aura he held with the belt was just like nobody else. I mean, the match as well, just to mention as well, with Kenta that he had in New York in Ring of Honor's debut in the Manhattan Center at Glory Bay Honor Five Night Two was probably the greatest Ring of Honor world championship match I think I've seen. Uh, and that's a, you know, hard thing to, you know, to admit, but like, because there's been so many, but he just was on a tear against everyone and, and no one compares. You can watch a Brian Danielson defense and every one of them's different. Every one of them is just wonderful to watch. He read the crowd, the psychology was on point and he just left it all in the ring and he, f- he held that championship like it was his life. Like when you hear about these wrestlers of old who, like Ric Flair, would hold the championship like it was, you know, their baby or whatever. And Brian Danielson always had that aura of being a pre- pure world champion. So definitely Brian Danielson for me. 
Mm, Oliver, um, I don't think either of us can uh, disagree with that. I mean, we've seen what success he's had since he left Ring of Honor in uh, WWE, of course. And uh, I think he's a seven-time WWE heavyweight champion. But uh, in Ring of Honor is where he kind of made his name and where he created uh, huge fans because of his style, his hard-hitting style and his um, his kind of tough spirits. But uh, you definitely back up Stephen's first choice there. No, I strongly disagree. <laughs> No chance, surely. No, no, um, no, no, of course not. Uh, but if you want to talk about uh, having matches and, and moulding against any opponent, there's a match on YouTube, Brian Danielson versus Kamala for the ROH world title. So that's that's how, how good this guy was and, and what he could do. Um, yeah, there's there's no ROH without Brian Danielson. Um you know, he he kind of found himself when he uh, he went on the tour of Europe in uh, 2005. Uh, he come back. He was a super serious wrestler, um, and then he you know he beat James Gibson at Glory Barna four, and yeah, he just went on from strength to strength. Mr. Small Package. Uh, I've got top five uh, in terms of not being disqualified when he's doing a, a submission or nefarious hold. He, he made that famous. Uh, obviously, the music, the final countdown is is iconic because of him. Um, as Stephen mentioned, I, I saw the, him and Nigel McGuinness tear it up in, in Liverpool where you, you probably would have sold your mother for a Nigel McGuinness win. Um, that's how heated the building was. Um, and yeah, he, he had, he had different matches with different opponents and every single time he, you know, he, he brought it. And with regards to what Steven said about the Kenta match, uh, I, I've seen that and it's, it's spectacular. Um, so yeah, I can't, uh, disagree although i did jokingly at the beginning with uh, <laughs> steven's number one pick there there we go well, well my first pick um is is kevin steen uh we all know him uh, from uh, wwe as, as kevin owens of course he only won the ring of honor world title once uh, I, I believe that's correct uh and uh, his reign lasted for 328 days and he won the championship and correct me if i'm wrong but i think it was in may 2012 and it was in Toronto at Border Wars when he beat Davy Richards. Uh, so Steen was the first ever Canadian born wrestler to win the Ring, ring of Honor World title. Um, he, he was battling the likes of El Generico, Eddie Edwards, Davy Richards around that time. Steen had a, he had a, a successful title defenses against Generico at final battle, Doomsday 2012 in that epic ladder match, um, as well as successfully defending against Jay Lethal at their 11th anniversary show before dropping the championship to Jay Briscoe at Supercard of Honor 7 in April 2013. So uh, Steen did one, have one more crack at the Ring of Honor World title in May 2014, I understand, against then-champion Adam Cole, but was uh, defeated in one of his final matches for Ring of Honor before making the move to NXT. So, guys, my first pick is, is Kevin Steen. Uh, like I say, he was, he was Ring of Honor World Champion for about 11 months, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in 2012 through to 2013. Any thoughts on my, my number one pick? Yeah, can't disagree with it, uh, John. You know, I watched that uh, rain from start to finish. Steen was at his peak. 
Um, the win against Davy Richards, which you mentioned at Border Wars, was incredible. The the crowd were loving it. Um, every match again, a bit like Brian Danielson he had, was you know very uh, heated. They were very fun. They were all unique. Uh, the undertones of the feud as well with Generico fed yeah. through everything. And one of my favourite endings to any show ever was at Glory by Honor um, 11, the Unbreakable Hope, where he had this incredible match against Michael Elgin, one of the most underrated Ring of Honor World Championship matches of all time. Um, and then at the end, he was handed a box by, I believe it was Carrie Silkin, the um, ambassador for Ring of Honor, former owner. And... Um, that then he opened the box at the end of the show and it had El Generico's mask in it and the crowd went absolutely nuts because they knew that it was going to be a final battle as you mentioned the ladder war between himself and El Generico so those feuds were being undertoned as well which were even more heated because it was for the Ring of Honor World Championship um incredible promos as well he was able to carry himself on the mic as much as in the ring um and he always just delivered the goods no matter what and he helped a lot of fans stay with ring of honor i think during a time when ring of honor was losing a lot of momentum due to a lot of different transitions in the company but um definitely needs to be in this list absolutely superb um so uh oliver um uh, no but but for me like kevin steen like way back to like 2008 he was tagging with val generico and like he was taunting his own tag team partner to make the tag. And I was like, I, I don't know who this guy is, but i got to keep tabs on him because he's hilarious. And then uh, seeing him in the ring um, and just a love for him from from those days uh, in Orlando in 2008. And then, um, you know, it, that kind of led to his uh, camp campaign and, and kind of against Ring of Honor and, uh, the fans stuck with him and 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 kind of brought him back to Ring of Honor because he, he lost a match, if I'm correct, Stephen, and could wrestle in Ring of Honor for a long time. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The uh, fight without honor against Jericho. Yeah, yeah. And and the fans stuck with him and brought him back and and then he he, he turned because he's at his best when he's a heel. Um, and, and like you mentioned, the Border Wars match against Davy Richards going up against one of the very best in the world. And he was able to, you know, to uh, beast him kind of thing. And then, um, yeah, uh, Kevin Steen had a, a fantastic title run. It's like, like I said, I was watching sporadic shows at the, at the uh, time, so I can't say too much. But I remember like the message boards. He, he blew up the message board in the end, didn't he, Stephen, if I'm correct? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. There's no, there's no more ROH message board because it was one of the premier <laughs> things on the internet. Um, just yeah, uh, was again, you know, was going up against uh, the company higher ups who didn't want him to be as popular as he was. So it's very Steve Austin in uh, WCW kind of vibe that I, I got from it. And and obviously the cream rose to the top and he became ROH world champion. And yeah, very, very worthy of being on this list. So yeah, to my uh, second pick, I'm going to go with uh, James Gibson. Um, even though he had a very short ROH run, um, every match he was in was uh, superb. 
to the point where our wage management thought that he needed to be the champion. Um, and and yeah, they, they built him up and they built him up and um, and it was because of like the summer of Punk and, and CM Punk wouldn't defend the title and, and what have you. And it all comes to a, a uh, you know, a, a crescendo with uh, Samoa Joe, CM Punk, Christopher Daniels and James Gibson. Uh, Gibson gets taken out of the match, but comes back bloody, you know, bloody uh, crimson mask, and beats CM Punk just before he goes to WWE, and the fans were electric for it, even though he didn't have the title for a very long time. Um, you know, losing it quite quickly at Gloria Burna against the aforementioned Brian Danielson. Um, you know, when when he he went into the company on a on a opportunity. And within so many months was the ROH world champion. And I think that's a fantastic Cinderella story from somebody who's been uh, underrated for the, you know, the very longest time um, and definitely deserved his, his due as ROH world champion. Yeah. And uh, Stephen, your, your thoughts on Oliver's second pick there? Yeah, um, James Gibson was a man who, you know, had for that point been um, synonymous with WWE and the Cruiserweight division, and he was um, taken away from WWE or released under very bad circumstances at the time, I believe, Um, and he came into Ring of Honor very hungry and very um, intent on showing his worth, and the fans were always behind him in every match, and every match he'd delivered the goods and that moment when he did win the championship as Oliver mentioned was a wonderful Cinderella story and the crowd were just so behind him and his matches and his reign wasn't very long in the sense that it wasn't his historic reign in terms of defences or in terms of amazing matches there were some great matches but um, the actual moment of him winning overshadowed anything else and that you know, passing the torch to Brian Danielson to then have his incredible reign, as I just mentioned, I think is, you know, shows how selfless and how um, sort of professional he was, or he is as an actual professional wrestler, you know, so I, I can't disagree with Oliver's pick there for James Gibson. Hmm. Am, I, am I right in uh, thinking that James Gibson is the former Jamie Noble in WWE? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't think they really kind of, gave him the opportunity to demonstrate his I don't know he, he, he was more of a character wrestler in WWE wasn't he more more of a gimmick would you agree as opposed to being uh you know the the the, the solid wrestler that he presented himself as in Ring of Honor yeah Jamie Noble boy <laughs> they never used him to the to the best of their abilities did they no I mean he's a very technically sound wrestler with a lot yeah. of uh technical expertise um, and he, you know, should have been used a lot more. Um, he should have been allowed to be able to stretch himself a lot more, but he wasn't mm. given that opportunity, sadly. Yeah, he definitely. Had a fantastic feud against um, the Hurricane for the Cruiserweight title when he was with uh, Nidia. To yeah. be fair, uh, they had some fantastic matches, and uh, I know it was more character driven, but he was able to show his wrestling chops then. Mm. But in terms of I mentioned this because I've said this to Stephen. It wasn't a title match, but uh, one of the matches you need to kind of seek out if you want to see how good James Gibson is, 
is a, a, a match at ROH stalemate against Austin Aries. It's truly one of my favourite ROH, ROH matches of all time. There we go. Uh, Stephen, let's have your, your second rest on your list of five then. Yeah, so I was looking down this top uh, 20 what I sent, and uh, I want to mention this wrestler because I just have to because he's one of my favourites. Uh, Nigel McGuinness has to come in there. Um, British-born, historic reign. He held the Ring of Honor World Championship for over 500 days. The only Ring of Honor champion to hold the championship for a full calendar year from January to December. Um, wrestled everyone and anyone round the world had a historic feud against Takeshi Morishima, continued his feud against Brian Danielson. Um, he just carried the championship again like it was his life, and it was his life. Nigel wrestled his heart out in every match he took. He held that belt you know, like his life depended on it. And he, I believe... He was the first British-born world champion of a wrestling organization for a United States company in over, at that point, before Nick Aldis won the NWA championship in over about 60 or 70 years. So the prestige of holding or being given the opportunity to hold a belt of that you know, magnitude was something I know I've heard him say was he, he was incredibly proud of. Um, fantastic promos once again. Um, his charisma was on point and... Every match was always a great story. Every match was always a roller coaster. Um, and the thing, what I always, why I have such passion for Nigel is that if you watch a lot of his matches in the latter part of his Ring of Honor career when he was um, the champion, he was very badly injured. He was in a lot of pain. Um, he was wrestling like a wounded man, basically, but he would not give up that belt no matter what was thrown at him. He had to hold that belt and he wrestled because he had such passion for the company he was wrestling for and the belt he was holding that he wouldn't want to let his fans down. And when he lost the championship to Jerry Lynn, I actually tweeted recently about this because Ian Riccoboni put it up, but it was one of the most emotional matches I think I've seen because he was so he was in such pain, but he was so respectful with what he did. A lot like when Brett won the championship from Kurt Henning at SummerSlam, uh, yeah, SummerSlam 91, but he did the job to him and he did the right thing and they shook hands, they followed the code of honour. He withheld that championship moniker from start to finish and it was a reign which, much like Brian Danielson's, I always hold close to my heart in that he was a true world champion and he always will be to me. So it has to be up there for me. And he was also the longest reigning pure champion as well, uh, 350 days. So uh, he's got yeah. two kind of distinctive, uh, you know, kind of championship uh, reigns within Ring of Honor. He was the third longest reigning world champion in Ring of Honor with uh, 545 days. Um, that, that, that single reign between October 07 and April 09. Um, yeah, and, and then we kind of know the history that... Um, I mean, that, that epic match in Liverpool, the unification match with, with Brian Danielson, I know we've already touched on it um, a couple of times in this episode already, but they even highlighted it on the uh, Nigel Beginners uh, documentary that they did on the WWE Network a couple of years ago. But uh, I mean, yeah. Oliver, Nigel Beginners, you know, we all know that his career was cut short um, and, you know, what he could have achieved 
his dream was always to you know get onto the WWF stage and WWE stage sorry and become world champion and he saw one of his best friends in Daniel Bryan Bryan Danielson achieve even live out his dream at WrestleMania in 2014. But Nigel McGuinness, you know, had he not suffered um, so many injuries, maybe it was due to his, his wrestling style and the, and the way that, you know, his, his kind of strong style that he presented in, in every single match uh, where he kind of gave 110% every single time. But his career could have been so much more you know, um, just through circumstances that, that were unfortunate to him. But to Oliver, your thoughts on Nigel McGuinness? Yeah, just, just quickly, I love the... Uh... Bret Hart missed the perfect reference from SummerSlam 91 there, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, as, as that's the day I became a wrestling fan, so that was good. Um, in terms of Nigel, had everything. Um, unfortunately, with regards to WWE, he was too honest. He told them about an injury. They said, you need to get it fixed. Yeah. Uh, he didn't have the money to get it fixed. So that's, that's what happened there. And then he went to TNA and tore it up with Kurt Angle. And those matches need to be seen to be believed. Um, but yeah, uh, he, he has the kind of passion that me and Stephen have for the RH review, I think. Um, as, as a wrestler, he, he had absolutely everything. And, you know, with, with people coming back like Edge and Daniel Bryan and uh, just recently Corey Graves training possibly for an in-ring return, who knows? Maybe Nigel will get that itch again and uh, the WWE fans will, you know, will be uh, forever grateful if that happens. Um, but in terms of what Stephen's saying about, uh, you know, him being one of the top picks, without a doubt, uh, you know, if, if we were to put this into one, two, three to 15 and stuff, he's inside the top three. Um, mm. Not quite sure where in that top three, but definitely inside it. It was an absolute pleasure and honour to see the uh, Danielson-McGuinness match uh, that, that we aforementioned in, in Liverpool. Um, a fantastic setting. And, and like I said, uh, it's not hyperbole. People would have sold family members for Nigel to be the champion. Uh, at that point, the, the, the crowd was molten. Um, and then, you know, uh, wrestling through injuries. We, we talk about respecting wrestlers. Uh, I respect every wrestler that steps into the ring, whether you like them or not. It, it doesn't really matter. They're, they're putting their livelihoods on the line. They're, they're away from their families for so many days a year. They have, um, I'm sure, mine, Stevens and yourself, John's utmost respect. And, you know, for, for Nigel, he wrestled injured for a lot of the title reign, but refused to lose the title. That's how much it meant to him. And that's why... The ROH World Title held such prestige as it, it does today, but during Nigel's reign, it was like, wow, this this is pretty close to being the top title in the world, and he made that so by amazing performance after amazing performance and wrestling through injuries. And I got to see one of the most amazing performances once again in Orlando as he took on Austin Aries at Supercard of Honor three. And, you know, you, you could see then he just gave everything he had in that match. And that's what he did throughout the entire title run. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Well, I'm, I'm going to give you guys my, my uh, number two pick then. Now, this might surprise some because it's quite a uh, it's quite a recent world champion. Uh, but I think for what this kind of championship reign did for this individual um, and what, what this person has done um, in quite a lengthy career and then recently coming back to prominence. 
Um, it's, it's got a lot to kind of uh, tell about, a bit of a fairy tale story. And of course, I'm talking about PCO. Now, PCO, um, I think he only won the championship uh, late last year, but he's been in the wrestling business for 25 years. And a lot of his first came across him 25 years ago, 26 years ago, around 1994, when he's part of the Quebecers. Uh, he had a, a fairly good run there uh, with a, a WWF champ, a tag team championship run or two uh, with the Quebecers there. But but then after that, he kind of floated around North America, did a stint in WCW, a stint in TNA many years later. He's been floating around the Indies, but then he kind of disappeared and it, it came into prominence around about 19, uh, sorry, 2016, 2017, uh, where he kind of got noticed more on the independent scene. And uh, I think he was already into his early 50s by then. And then he signed a deal with Ring of Honor in 2018. Uh, quite soon into his deal with Ring of Honor, he got signed. Uh, he joined the, the, the Villain Enterprises and soon became tag team champions uh, with uh, Brody King. And uh, I think uh, six band tag team champions uh, with, with uh, Marty Skill thrown into the mix as well. And then um, at, towards the end of 2019, he won the Ring of Honor World Championship. Now, he was only champion for 17 eight days uh, and then uh, I think he beat Roosh to be the champion and then lost to Roosh kind of um, I think it was a, a couple of months ago before we all went into to lockdown but uh, the reason why I put PCO on the list is because of kind of the fairy tale resurgence of almost a forgotten wrestler to be honest with you and coming back and doing what he's been able to, to do he's always reinvented himself until it's Frankenstein's monster character. Um, but essentially, he's kind of reinvented himself so that he's, he's kind of more of a prominent, more of a re relevant wrestler in the year, you know, 2018, 2019, 2020, modern day times. Uh, for somebody of his age that's been in, in wrestling, a kind of always the forgotten journeyman, you could say. Um, but my, my number two wrestler is PCO for all of them reasons. And I think that although he's, he's Ring of Honor World Championship reign may not be one of the most memorable or glorified uh, World Championship reigns and Ring of Honor. Um, I think for what, what that championship did for his career and what he's been able to do as part of kind of the more modern Ring of Honor uh, definitely needs to be recognized. So, uh, Stephen, your thoughts on PCO and uh, kind of my entry number two on my list uh, in the Ultimate 15? Yeah, I mean, um, he was a guy who I actually didn't put in my top 20, but I can't disagree with any of what You've said, John, and myself and Oliver, when PCO actually won the championship back at Final Battle last year, we were just, you know, loving it in the fact that this man, a lot of people were critical of him at the time, saying, oh, he's, you know, degrading the Ring of Honor World Championship. He's not one of the best in the world, oh, and all this. But PCO has consistently throughout 2019 delivered some of the best matches in Ring of Honor, and he's one of the most over-talents in the company and one of the most marketable characters in the company and wrestlers. And he, at the age what he's at, and sorry, at the age he is and how he's able to wrestle, I think he's a, you know, an absolute sort of miracle in the sense that he's doing some of the stuff which even younger guys would be crazy to do and he's still yeah. able to do it. And that actual championship win was a great moment in that it was much like the, you know, WrestleMania kind of fulfilling of a childhood dream. And, you know, one of the recent episodes of Ring of Honor Wrestling, which myself and Oliver reviewed, there was actually a post-match um, speech which he gave, which wasn't on the um, live show, which was only exclusive to the TV deal, where he was very humbled and, you know, very, you know, thankful for what he'd been given in Ring of Honor and the opportunity. And I think sometimes, you know, the... Um, 
the one thing about a rain is the actual way you win the belt as opposed to how you hold the belt and for PCO that journey from being you know one of the Quebecers and his early career in Canada and been floating about the Indies and then to come back and then get signed and go through villain enterprises and become the Ring of Honor world champion has truly been as you mentioned the Cinderella story and Mm. you know I, I, I do actually believe that he is one of the top Ring of Honor world champions in the sense of that in terms of his defences and his match quality maybe not so but if you're looking at a full round package there's no way that he can't be in that top 15 for, for me now you know definitely up there yeah uh, Oliver PCO yeah uh, much like Steven's saying there uh, you, you know unique character um, a, a different style of, of wrestler to to what ROH had at the time yes. um, the fans thoroughly supported him um so yeah well well worthy of, of being the ROH world champion much like James Gibson um both had a point to prove obviously the the age difference was was completely different but um definitely think that PCO was was worthy of the ROH world title and I think it was more about him being the champion uh no winning the championship than being the champion so you know, uh, however long his reign was, was going to last, and obviously it's lasted as long as it has before Roosh re, uh, regained the title. Um, yeah, uh, thoroughly worthy of, of being our world champion. And, you know, it's it's your choice for him to be in the top 15. And Indeed. I, I don't think hand on heart, either me, as, me or Stephen can disagree with that choice. Oh, excellent. Uh, <laughs> Oliver, um, your, your number three pick, please. Yeah, my number three pick is uh, CM Punk. Um, you know, the, this is the, the guy who comes into the company with, uh, you know, a friend, Colt Cabana and, and Ace Steel, and, you know, um, always had this serious demeanor. And then you find out he's straight edge and he's drug free and alcohol free and cigarette free. And it's just like, oh, wait, that's that's me. So I, I can kind of relate to this guy. And then um, obviously he shoved it down people's throats and I don't do that. But, you know, I could relate to him on some levels. And then you just hear his, uh, his promos backstage and, you know, talking about how Raven pissed it all away. Excuse the language if you're not allowed. And, um, yeah, I was just, this, this guy's incredible. He was always there on promos. Uh, he then proved he could wrestle up a storm with Samoa Joe over the, the trilogy they had. Uh, when other people left, him and Samoa Joe stayed. So obviously he had loyalty towards the company. And then um, it was announced that he was going to leave. And he had one last chance at the ROH World title, uh, Death Before Dishonor 3, against Austin Aries, who we've already mentioned. Um the fans are thoroughly with him. And then he uh, wins the title, turns on him post-match. Um, and, and and he had them, because if you listen to the fan support all through the match, CM Punk had him in the palm of his hands. And then he was going to take the title to WWE. And, you know, Mick Foley's involved in, in the, the chase to stop him from taking the title. Uh, 
Stephen mentioned before, Roderick Strong had a match against him. Jay Lethal had a match against him. James Gibson's involved. Samoa Joe's involved. Christopher Daniels is involved. Um, ROH against CM Punk. Um, it's, it's some of the best work of his career. It's one of the many Summer of Punks, um, you know, in, in his career uh, since that time. And it's just, uh, you know, it's just amazing uh, signing the signing where he signs the uh, his WWE contract on the ROH world title. And the fans, you know, wanting to chase him out of the building with pitchforks, probably. Um, yeah, he's just uh, an incredible champion. Thoroughly deserved it. Got his moment in the sun and took ROH to huge prominence because of Summer Punk. So, um yeah, probably could be a little bit higher in my list, but um, got a lot of love uh, for James Gibson's run, so I'm going to go with CM Punk as my third choice. Mm, good pick, good pick. Uh, Stephen, any thoughts on CM Punk as the former Ring of Honor World Champion? Yeah, I mean, um, Punk just took that championship after he'd been wrestling to try and win it for the year before against uh, Samoa Joe, and when he won it from... Uh, Austin Aries it was such an incredible moment when he turned on all the fans the match itself was incredible and then the post-match promo was one of the best in the, of his career and what I loved about it was it was the first time really where the Ring of Honor World Championship had kind of been used as a storyline it was very well done in that it was part of the storyline as well as part of the actual company in the sense that you know it all hinged on if cm punk very much like the wwe echoed it with money in the bank where if he leaves the company with the belt what are they going to do we can't have this happen Mm. this is going to be the ring of honor what are we gonna what's going to happen to the company and all the new belt people are gonna do yeah (laughs) um (laughs) it was very heated it was a very um historic time for the company it was a it was a short reign it wasn't a very long reign but in that short period of time all the matches and all the moments were all memorable and whenever you say the phrase to a ring of honor fan of the summer of punk they instantly know what you're you're talking about and they just you know can relate to it and that urgency there was just such a sense of urgency to win the championship back from punk it was like we need to get the championship back who's going to do it who's going to win the belt who's going to not even to hold it just to get it back you know more so than anything else you know so yeah definitely punk needs to be in there as one of the flag bearers for being one of the greatest champions in ring of honor history yeah completely agree completely agree so steven i think it's your third pick yes um has to be samoa joe uh, Samoa Joe was a man who had the uh, Ring of Honor was built around or the Ring of Honor World Championship sorry was built around Samoa Joe's Ring of Honor World Championship reign we hear about the mythical reign of Bruno Sammartino seven year WWF reign in you know the 60s and the 70s and Samoa Joe it was un unheard of for a world champion in the early 2000s to hold a championship for you know 600 odd days what Samoa Joe held the ring of honor world championship for he was just an absolute monster he tore everyone up 
He faced everybody. He was at his peak in terms of his wrestling ability. He moulded a lot of himself on the Ring of Honor World Championship and held the belt like he, again, it was his life. And he wrestled in the UK against the Zebra Kid. He wrestled in Japan. He wrestled uh, in Mexico, I believe, um, for the Ring of Honor World Championship. He, and, and of course, he had the historic and um, career defining feud against CM Punk, the Punk versus Joe trilogy, you know, which at that point was seen as the second coming of Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair of, you know, 89. You know, it was that two hour long draws and the final match at uh, All-Star Extravaganza two or three. I think, I believe it was two, if I'm right. I may be wrong there, but it just was a reign which cemented CM Punk as the Ring of Honor. He will always be the ring the man who made the ring of honor world championship what it is in the it was all about longevity it was all about respect it was all about hard-hitting wrestling and it was all about carrying a championship like you are like it's your life and that's what Samoa Joe got into people's mentality and people's sort of way of thinking about ring of honor so he has to be up there as one of the top 15 ring of honor world champions Mm, uh, Oliver, your thoughts on Samoa Joe? Yeah, uh, basically Samoa Joe is pro wrestling. Um, that's what he coined in, in Ring of Honor and he kind of lived up to it every day as the ROH world champion. Um, but yeah, it wasn't just, uh, you know, singles, title defenses. One of the, the absolute best matches he had as the ROH world champion was a cage match against one of the Briscoes, uh, a Jay Briscoe in this instance. Yes. Um, and it's a bloody, violent, brutal affair, and it's it's enthralling. But that's, that's the kind of champion that Samoa Joe was. So he could have a, a wrestling classic with CM Punk, but then he could have a bloody cage match with uh, Jay Briscoe, obviously. You know, wrestled up a storm against Austin Aries, um, you know, before losing the title to him. He, he wrestled Christopher Daniels. He wrestled, uh, you know, he wrestled the who's who of ROH and um, and beat them all. Um, you know, beat Paul London, obviously, um, at uh, Death Before Dishonor, uh, Paul London's last match in the company. Um, so, yeah, uh, Samoa Joe is, was, and will forever be pro wrestling and uh, well worthy of being uh, in the top 15 of the ROH World Champions and once again got to be somewhere in the top three yeah yeah really good pick uh, big fan of Samoa Joe on the Wrestling with John's podcast most definitely but uh, my number three pick uh, I'll pick Kevin Steen PCO now my next pick he, he's probably going to surprise people and make people scratch their heads uh, ever so slightly as well and uh, another fairly recent champion now um similar to the reasons why I picked PCO for my second pick I'm picking Cody Cody Rhodes now he was the the Ring of Honor world champion uh from June 2017 uh, I, I think it was June 2017 when he won the championship over Christopher Daniels and he held it for just shy of six months if I'm not mistaken um, but the match with Christopher Daniels re was really really good but I think the reason why he's on my list is because I thought it, it was quite a, a definitive moment in Cody Rhodes's career um, after having 
what, uh, seven or eight years in the WWE um, and uh, kind of a tag team champion, but intercontinental champion. But he finished his career there under a bit of a cloud with that Stardust gimmick. But when he left WWE, he put out a, a list, a tick box list of things he wanted to achieve. And I think more than anything, he just wanted to be taken seriously as a wrestler. And when he signed to ROH and eventually quite quickly became their world champion, I think that was the first step in Cody Rhodes' career to becoming a marketable name, a believable singles wrestler, and for the first time in his career, a world champion, which is something he always dreamed of. So I don't think Cody Rhodes would be in many people's top five, top 15, top you know, top 20 maybe. But I think the reason why I put him in there is because this was the first step in Cody Rhodes' career to be taken seriously as a figurehead for a company. And we all know what he's gone on to achieve. I mean, since then, in uh, was it August 2018, he won the NWA World Title at All In. And that was uh, a bit of a, a card that was um, in association with Ring of Honor at the time. He's gone on to be one of the, the figureheads of AEW and, and one of the faces of AEW and probably the biggest baby face that they have. And I think that when he left WWE and won the Ring of Honor World Championship, that was the first step that kind of uh, helped to create the character of Cody that we're all familiar with now. So he's may not have been uh, too long or very memorable in many people's eyes, but I think for what it actually achieved for him and what it kick-started in his career um, and what it, we've, we've got now in, what, two and a half, less than three years since that world title win, um, I think that it's, it's, it kind of, it's bigger than the title win itself. It's bigger than the title reign itself in terms of what it started for that individual and what we have now um, in that personality of Cody uh, slash Cody Rhodes. So, uh, uh, gentlemen, your, your thoughts on my number three pick? Yeah, um, Cody's a guy who I'd always been a huge fan of in WWE. And when he was released from the company, I was... I originally saw him come into Impact and I thought Impact Wrestling and I thought because mm, he he made a tour of all the major promotions in one yeah. calendar year, but then he made his home in Ring of Honor, and he was a, such a marketable name from being a former sort of WWE star and had such crowd support behind him that much like sort of the PCO situation where he was going to at some point hold the championship, um, it was just inevitable. Um, he again held the championship very much like a world champion he brought in a different style to ring of honor he was a lot more um flamboyant much like dalton castle in the sense he was a lot more flamboyant and a lot more sort of um sports entertainer as opposed to traditional uh catchers can wrestler but he was able to he was able to prove critics wrong and he had some really strong performances in Ring of Honor and he really did carve his name out in Ring of Honor as the world champion and um those crowds were you know well behind him either to love him or to hate him because yeah. you know he really found his niche in Ring of Honor and look at what he's gone on to now in AEW you know if it hadn't have been for Ring of Honor giving him that confidence and that you know, opportunity again, who knows what would have happened with AEW and all in, you know, it, it was a very significant reign for different reasons, as opposed to holding a wrestling belt. It actually opened up doors to a new form of wrestling and a new company, which I think says a lot about a belt or a, a title. Yeah. Uh, Oliver, are you a fan of Cody and were you a fan of him as the Ring of Honor world champion? Well, 
like I said, this was part when I was a, a bit of a laps fan from Ring of Honor. So, um, at, you know, in the WWE, I was I was always a fan. Um, I remember seeing him in a tag match on a Raw after WrestleMania. It was him and Hardcore Holly against Brian Kendrick and Paul London. And um, he, he always had something about him. And then, uh, you know, when he's like dashing Cody Rhodes when he uh, when he broke his nose. Um, that was a brilliant character, you know, putting paper bags over people's heads and stuff. Um, and then obviously Stardust went went down the, the tubes and, and yeah. what have you. And then, like Stephen said, turned up in Impact Wrestling and you weren't sure if that was right for him. And then turned up in Ring of Honor with, uh, you know, Kenny and, and Young Bucks and, and Marty and, and stuff. And yeah, it's not a title reign I'm familiar with, uh, in all honesty. But um, yeah, always deserved to be world champion. Always had that about him, had that dream and that ambition and aspiration to be the, the world champion. So um, no, I, I'm just going to take what Stephen, the, the RH expert, said really yeah. uh, and, and kind of go with his, his opinion. It's It's one of those that I missed, but... Yeah, like you said, all, he's a ROH World Title reign, led to All In with all these companies working together to produce one of the greatest wrestling shows of the new millennium. Uh, he then went on to be the NWA World Champion, as you mentioned. Um, and then, uh, you know, you can see what he's doing in All Elite Wrestling now. So him becoming ROH World Champion has spawned some of the most important um decisions in professional wrestling in the last few years really that's that's all i can say from the outside looking in there we go so oliver i think we're up to pick number four for you then my friend yeah pick number four for me is going to be controversial but you know controversy creates cash eric bischoff trademark (laughs) um so yeah for me it's going to be the the second ever roh champion and the all-round best xavier uh, you know, I'm surprised Stephen isn't booing, but um, that's that's kind of the RH <laughs> fans' response to this. So uh, bear with me, and I'll I'll explain it. You you had somebody in the company uh, who was an OG from the era of Honor Begins, and you know was was in matches and was you know, was on under the radar having good matches, but kind of needed an edge. And then he, uh, you know, he just cornered Loki, who was the champion at the time, and asked him for a title shot. Uh, that was granted because Loki's an honourable champion. Then in the title match at Unscripted, uh, Xavier swerves everybody, joins the prophecy of, of Christopher Daniels, and wins the ROH World Title in a really dishonourable, uh, nefarious circumstance. Um, and then from there, pretty much like the summer of punk, everyone's trying to take the ROH world, to, uh, ROH title at the time away from Xavier and the prophecy. You've got uh, Jay Briscoe had a uh, a non-title match and then a title match. AJ Styles had a go. Um, you you had obviously uh, Paul London had two attempts at it, including you know these were tremendous matches where the fans were you know were with bated breath begging for Paul London to win the title so it kind of and then that that kind of went through and 
and then uh, Xavier suffered a couple of concussions, but still wrestled. So you've, you've got the respect aspect of things um, before losing the title to uh, to Samoa Joe. And he, what's really interesting about our picks is they, they they seem to kind of, you know, kind of go into one. Like when you're talking about one champion, they lost it to the previous champion that we're talking about. So it's, it's really interesting how that happens. Yeah. But um, yeah, with Xavier, he... He was under the radar and and was like most hated ROH world champ world champion sorry um, at the time and until probably Matt Taven which Stephen will dispute um, <laughs> you know he he had uh, he had good matches the crowd hated him um, you know in in hindsight being 2020 he deserves a lot more respect than he was given as ROH champion. Because you know, I would I would imagine the attendances either stayed the same or went up because you know they they wanted him to lose. Um, I would compare him to like the million dollar man um, of of ROH really with without the the title for uh, Ted DiBiase. But um, you kind of understand and respect him more after the event than at, at the time. So. Uh, those Paul London matches in particular, I've I've watched them recently, and I, I know Stephen has too, and they are tremendous matches, and the crowd is molten and desperate for a title change, and as a heel, a uh, dishonourable champion, and and one who uses nefarious tactics, you want the fans to hate you, and you know Xavier got the fans to hate him, so job done. There we go. So, uh, Stephen, your, your thoughts on Xavier and uh, Oliver's fourth pick there? Yeah, um, Xavier, one of the most influential Ring of Honor world champions and really began that sort of prestige of holding the championship. And what I loved about him is, as Oliver mentioned, he was such a heel. Ring of Honor really, uh, the fans really despised anybody who, you know, didn't follow the code of honor or who did dastardly deeds in the ring. And Xavier was one of those guys who, you know, did that. And the amount of um, hatred the fans had because this man who is, you know, um, disrespecting the code of honor, but is the world champion. It's kind of your that paradox of he's got to hold up the code of honor because he's the world champion and the flag bearer. But that never came to be, you know. So he definitely gave an interesting sort of aura compared with a lot of champions, and he helped the company grow during a time they were growing themselves, you know. So it was historic in the sense of his own progression as a wrestler but also ring of honor as a company so definitely one of the most important and top 15 champions in ring of honor history yeah and not not a wrestler that i'm particularly familiar with but uh following this podcast i'm def- definitely going to check him out and check out his reign for sure but uh steven i think it's your number four pick so uh, who have you got yeah so um my number four pick is um the a franchise of Ring of Honor, um, Jay Lethal. Uh, Jay Lethal is a guy who, in the most recent years of Ring of Honor, has really carved himself out as one of the most important wrestlers in the company. Uh, started out back in 2000 and late, well, early 2004, um, as Hydro, and then has grown to become who he is today. 
his win for the Ring of Honor World Championship, which was actually recently uh, shown on the Ring of Honor wrestling show uh, against Jay, Jay Briscoe, sorry, um, is one of the most historic championship wins in the company history because it was a dual championship match once again, much like Unified, where it was between the Ring of Honor world champion and the Ring of Honor TV champion. So Jay became a dual champion and for several months wrestled as both the TV champion and the world champion on events. So he was doing a lot of double duty. So he was really putting himself and showing why he was the best in the world at the time. And he's a guy who... Just at that point in 2015, when he won the championship for the first time, he's a two-time world champion, but he um, really just had such awesome matches against, you know, Adam Cole, Jay Briscoe, as I just mentioned, uh, the match at Final Battle 2015 against AJ Styles is what in the uh, in the former ECW arena was one of the best world championship matches in Ring of Honor history. Um, he just held the championship much like a lot of traditional Ring of Honor world champions, like it was his life, and it really meant so much to him to win it. And he said in the interview, which myself and Oliver reviewed um, for the Ring of Honor review, that when he won the belt, he was just stood in the middle of the ring and everything just went silent when he won the belt. And I think that moment of winning the belt and being given that opportunity and rolling with it was something which means so much to him and he's carried the bell so well over the past well the company as well for that for that matter over the past five to six years that he really does deserve a lot more acclaim I feel than what he gets I feel that a lot of people if they followed Ring of Honor during this modern era, would see just that he does match up with the Brian Danielsons, with the Samoa Joes and with the Nigel McGuinnesses in terms of his match quality and his um, promos. So he definitely has to be up there for me as one of the top 15. Yeah, and I think his two uh, title uh, reigns combined uh, add, add up to the, the most amount of days for a Ring of Honor World Champion. 707 days combined is two reigns. So uh, that, that's pretty impressive. Um, yeah. out, out, that, and that's out of all the 27 previous, 26 previous champions, not including Jay uh, Lethal. But um, yeah, a, a fantastic wrestler. I'm a big fan of his. But um, uh, Oliver, your thoughts on Jay Lethal? And uh, are you a fan? What, 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 what's your thoughts on his two championship reigns? Yeah, uh, once again, this was during my lapsed fandom. So, um, you know, going back way, you know, way back to the beginning and stuff. Um, yeah, uh, was was a fan of Hydro and then Jay Lethal and then Samoa Joe's Prodigy, uh, Jay Lethal, and then um, not knowing too much about his title reigns and and how the company was doing and stuff. I I kind of dismissed it and said, well, you're the champion because a lot of other people have left. But when we did the star spotlight on, on Jay Lethal recently for the RH review and, uh, you know, the matches that Stevens talked about there against Jay Briscoe and unfortunately, like the highlights of the AJ Styles match rather than the full match, you could see that he's kind of coming to his own. Um, he was part of the House of Truth at the time and, it really allowed him to, uh, you know, excel as a character. And he's always had, a, you know, really good in-ring work to go along with it. So, um, you know, 
he's he's been the the longest reigning champion in history over those two reigns yeah. and I, I do believe if there was if somebody could have come along to take the title then he wouldn't have been but by the same token he carried the company on his back and you know we're still here uh, at the 18th year anniversary when hopefully that takes place this year and Jay Lethal is a, a huge part of that yeah most definitely and some other facts regarding and Jay Lee, who is he's, uh, the current uh, tag team champion alongside Jonathan Gresham, of course. He was the third ever Triple Crown champion in Ring of Honor history, the third ever Grand Slam champion in Ring of Honor history, and uh, the longest reign in Ring of Honor TV champion in their history as well. So uh, uh, a lot of credentials behind Jay Lee. But uh, my number four pick, now let's see where we are. Let's uh, have a quick look down my list. Ah, here we go. So my number four pick is uh, a, a guy that's been mentioned one or two times uh, as opponents to some of those that have been mentioned uh, in the top 15 so far. And I've got Davey Richards. Uh, only won the Ring of Honor World Championship just once, and it, but his title reign was quite lengthy, um, around about 11 months, 321 days. And uh, surprisingly, he, he beat his tag team partner, Eddie Edwards, for the championship back in June 2011 at uh, the Best in the World 2011 uh, from New York. And uh, I know that he was in and around the world title picture of Ring of Honor for quite a while and had a few unsuccessful uh, attempts at the world title before finally beating um, Eddie Edwards and uh, like I say he held the title for uh, for 11 months again on for a full year he defended the championship against the likes of uh, Roderick Strong he had rematches against Eddie Edwards um, even had a, a classic five-star match uh, on March 2012 against Michael Elgin um, eventually losing the championship to Kevin Steen at Border Wars um, in uh, May of that year so a hell of a champion but uh, not not a champion that uh, is on the kind of the forefront of everybody's mind when you think of Ring of Honor world champions bit of an underrated champion maybe um, maybe a bit of a forgotten title reign in many people's opinion but I think that for the length of his one and only Ring of Honor world championship reign and the defenses uh, the people who went up against that five-star match with Michael Elgin I think it definitely is worth a mention and he's number four uh, in my top five and uh, a worthy spot inside the ultimate top 15. But what do you think, uh, Stephen, first of all, Davy Richards? Yeah, Davy Richards had a very unfortunate reign. And as I was mentioning in terms of the history of the company, he became champion at a time when uh, the company was going through the transition of being bought by some clever broadcasting uh, group. And a lot of long time Ring of Honor fans were becoming lapsed and fell out of love with the company. And I feel that really hindered Davey um, a lot. Uh, and his reign really suffered from it in terms of that I feel a lot of fans were turned off to the product as a whole and they missed out on a lot of great Davey Richard matches. Um, I do feel that his chase for the championship did go a little bit too long and I feel he could have had it a bit sooner. Mm. But the actual story arc to him winning the championship from Eddie Edwards in the Hammerstein and the Best in the World match was phenomenal. And then his actual matches against... Um, Roderick Strong, as you mentioned. He had a great match against Adam Cole, which doesn't get any mention at Rising Above 2012. Um, he had another great match against Eddie Edwards at uh, Final Battle 2011, which was awesome. El Generico at Gloria Bayona um, 10 in Chicago, which was another great forgotten match. Um, but as you mentioned, that, um, you know, I think he really, th- the, the peak of his Ring of Honor wrestling uh, all that world championship reign was that match against Michael Elgin uh, um, showdown in the sun night two in 2012 um, because one of the things what 
I think was special about that match as well, if you're watching it on screen as opposed to in the building, was I mentioned this in a tweet recently, um, which Ian Riccoboni again put up, is that the emotion which former Ring of Honor world champion Nigel McGuinness, who I put in my list, had on commentary because he became a commentator, had for that match, just elevated the performances so much. And the love and the passion which he had for wrestling came back so much so it was such a wonderful thing to see on screen and it's just one of those things where it adds so much to the performances and the strong style which both both competitors love from that all japan um you know those all japan matches between uh, mitsuhara misawa and uh toshiaki kawada and kenta kabashi came out in full force and the crowd were just on on fire for the whole thing and I feel that it was really where David proved, you know, you've put me down for so long as a world champion. I'm going to prove why I'm the best in the world and why I am the world champion. And him and Elgin just tore it up. And that match alone is enough reason for him to be on this list for me, because I feel that if you haven't seen that match and you're listening to this podcast, you need to find a way to watch it because it's not like any other match you'll see ever. And I believe, like I said, in a, that tweet that it was the best commentary performance of the past decade from Kevin Kelly and Nigel McGuinness, which elevated it even more. So, so David definitely deserves to be in this top 15. Yeah. And, and Oliver, your thoughts on Davy Richards was this, was this during that time when you were a bit of a lapsed fan? I don't know if you've caught up on his reign, but uh, your thoughts on his reign as the world champion. Well, I thought as soon as you mentioned Davy Richards versus Michael Elgin, that, Stephen would talk for the rest of the podcast, so because <laughs> <laughs> I know how much he loves that match. Um, yeah, David, which I saw him back in 2006 and, and pinpointing him as being potentially a, a world champion back then, so that was August 2006, and obviously he didn't reach the pinnacle until five years later, so um, I was a lapsed fan, I think, uh, you know. Uh, I've always always been a fan of Davy Richards. Love the intensity, uh, love his wrestling ability. Um, like Stephen said, it, it, it's probably during that time, uh, you know, that ROH wasn't pulling the trigger on guys, and um, that might be the reason why his his reign's kind of underrated. But you know, to go along with what Stephen said, that showdown in the Sun Night Two match against Michael Algin is incredible. Um, and, and yeah, that alone, um, makes it, you know, that's a five star match, isn't it? I know, I know we've gone stupid with six stars and six and a half stars, yeah. and six quarter stars and whatever else. And it is a good barometer of what a great match is. I'm not going to slate Dave Meltzer too much, but, um, that was an incredible match and just for that match alone and, you know, for, for everything he did in, in ROH, um, title reign or non-title reign. Uh, yeah, I think he's worthy of being in the top 15. Right. So we're on the home stretch now. So, uh, Oliver, your, your fifth and final pick then, please. Yeah, with my fourth pick, I picked the dishonorable champion. So my fifth, I'm going to pick the first ever and most honorable champion, uh, Loki. So he... You know, he had a, a fantastic uh, debut in, in Ring of Honor against uh, the aforementioned American Dragon, Brian Danielson. 
and uh, the guy we haven't mentioned so far, uh, Fall Ninja Christopher Daniels, uh, they had a brilliant round robin challenge. Um, Loki and Brian Danielson tore it up in the main event with Ken Shamrock as the guest referee. And then, you know, he was, he was building himself up. So he had a fantastic match against AJ Styles and then won the title in the searing heat of the Philadelphia Murphy Rec Center in middle of July, which must have been like hell on earth. Uh, not the match, the, the temperature. Uh, 60-minute Ironman match against Spanky, Doug Williams, and the, the aforementioned Christopher Daniels. Um, won the title and then defended it in a, in a classic against AJ Styles in, in August on our invade Boston before losing it in nefarious circumstances against the um, dishonorable champion uh, who became, you know, Xavier. So. Um, yeah, Loki helped ROH be uh, put on the map, really. If it wasn't for his one-third part in the era of Honor Begins main event, which me and Stephen have recently talked about on the, the last uh, ROH review up until this point, actually. Um, yeah, he, he was incredibly important. And although his title reign didn't last too long, um, I think the work before it and during it and then um, kind of how he moved the title on to, to somebody and then obviously Xavier moved on to Samoa Joe. So I think he played his part in uh, establishing the ROH title before it became the world title and mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, one of the, uh, the most important ROH champions of all time. Yeah, definitely. And to think that he's still doing the business now, still kicking ass uh, all these years later, 18 years later. I think he was he was in his early 20s when he became Ring of Honor World Champion. I think he's probably 23, maybe 24 at the very most. Um, and he, he's wrestled for every promotion imaginable, hasn't he? Really even appeared briefly as Caval in, uh, in, in, in WWE. I think it was around about 2011. Um, and I think he won the, the second series of NXT. Uh, didn't really have much of a run after that. But uh, he's still producing the goods. And like you say, it, it was a, quite a, a short uh, championship reign. I mean, the very first Ring of Honor show, he main evented and, and won that show. And then, like I say, was the first ever champion. But um, uh, I, I got a lot of respect for Low Key. But Stephen, you, your thoughts on Low Key? And like I say, he kind of set the, the groundwork for Ring of Honor, you could say. Yeah, uh, Low Key definitely is one of those wrestlers who needs to be mentioned in his top t- 15 uh, Ring of Honor world champions. He, um, at two, in 2002, was one of the best wrestlers in the world and he was the best wrestler in ring of honor completely unique um his ferocious kicks and his intensity are like nobody else you'll see especially in those early years of ring of honor um and his reign although it wasn't again full of the historic sort of defenses and you know the amazing sort of length or anything it set the groundwork for everyone to follow and he, you know, built Ring of Honor was built upon, you know, Loki's um, performances, much like Brian Danielson and Christopher Daniels performance in that first match at the era of Honor begins the first main event, I should say, sorry. And he deserved the belt. He deserved to carry the company through that early period of 2002 and 
you know, it was a reign which will always be in the, you know, etched due to it being the first Ring of Honor world title reign. And uh, the Iron Man match, how they wrestled for 60 minutes in that searing heat, I have no idea because, you know, it, it was. You what I've seen the th- I've seen the full match and I don't know how they did it because it's just like 60 minutes is in feet of endurance, but then you add in the heat and you add in there's another two guys, let alone you know just being two guys in there. It's so far altogether, it just kind of baffles you how they were able to carry on for an hour. Um, but definitely a champion who needs to be in this list for what he, you know, he, his influence. Loki definitely needs to be yeah. in this list. Totally agree. And Stephen, your fifth and final pick, please. Yes. Yeah, so when I actually um, typed up my uh, top 20 list, there was a wrestler who I missed off completely. And I feel uh, shameful with myself that I missed him off. But it has to be my last pick, which is um, Takeshi Morishima. Um, Takeshi Morishima was a guy who um, came from pro wrestling Noah um, and for a lot of his Ring of Honor run to start with he was a guest appearance and much like Kenta and Naimichi Marafuji would make guest appearances for the company attraction matches but Morishima was able to um, you know come to Ring of Honor and to North America to sort of um, gain a lot more experience in the company and he was then given the opportunity to hold the Ring of Honor World Championship he defeated Homicide at the 50 year festival um and Morishima was just his reign was very much like Samoa Joe's in that he was just an unstoppable wrecking ball force of a champion you know he was violent he was brutal he was scary as a champion he was scary because he just was athletic but he was heavy he was just dangerous and the feuds he had with Nigel McGuinness and in Brian Danielson in particular were some of the most heated in the history of Ring of Honor. And the one he had with Brian Danielson um, was always the one which always sticks out, especially the matches he had in um, uh, um, Manhattan Mayhem where he caused Brian da- Danielson's detached retina. Um, and then following that, the match they had at Man Up, the Ring of Honor pay-per-view where Danielson wrestled with an eye patch and Morishima went after the eye and the crowd were much like with Xavier, were out for his blood, you know, because how they be so dishonorable to this man and try to blind him, you know, it was very old school heat kind of wrestling and Morishima just held the championship he was the first japanese champion in the history of ring of honor and he was a man who then went over to japan and wrestled over in japan for noah for the ring of honor world championship he defended it over there um he was a historic champion and when nigel mcginnis finally did defeat him for the championship at undeniable um on pay-per-view um, again, it was a great passing of the torch. There was the handshake. There was the bow from Morishima. There was the respect there. So it was kind of a very rollercoaster-esque reign, but one which was very historical in the sense of a lot of factors. So Morishima, I think, definitely has to be on this list. Yeah, very interesting, very interesting. Uh, and similar to Xavier, another wrestler that I'm not terribly familiar with, but uh, Oliver, uh, Morishima, uh, are you familiar with him? And uh, what did you think of his title reign? 
Yeah, if you want to get familiar with him, John, we we uh, put a ROH uh, match on our YouTube between the uh, the American monster, so we'll have Samoa Joe and the Japanese monster mm. Takeshi Morishima, and that's probably all you need to be, uh, you know, um, <laughs> to, to get to, to get to know him. Uh, those two balls going at it, um, it's it's pretty supremely amazing. Um, but yeah, Morishima coming to the company as a, as a guest star, as, as Stephen has said, um, be a, a you know a truly honourable champion in in a homicide who had really scratched and clawed to to uh, become the ROH World Champion, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and he had it taken away from him. Then Morishima went on a tear through the roster until uh, Nigel McGuinness. Uh, got a hold of him and and obviously he won the title then and and took it forward. But uh, yeah, Marashima is uh, undeniably amazing athletically for a big man. Um, you know, he had that aura about him. Like Stephen said, he's he's scary. He's he's scary good in the ring and pretty scary um, just in stature and. Uh, yeah, those uh, aforementioned matches against Brian Danielson are, are some of the most brutal matches you'll see. Um, and, and just going back to low-key, just really quickly, in terms of seeing a great low-key match, low-key against Samoa Joe, uh, Fight Without Honour from Gloria Barner in 2002 is another match to check out, John. Um, but yeah, Morishima is... Uh, I, I can't believe that he wasn't on Stevens' list, really, but... Uh, it just goes to show you the caliber of ROH World Champions, really. But, yeah, Morishima is incredibly important and definitely worthy of being in the top 15. Yeah, I, th- I think like uh, possibly like a lot of my listeners after this podcast, I'm going to go and check out quite a bit more uh, ROH content, certainly the, the matches and the individuals you've recommended. So uh, this has been an education for me. But my number five pick, my fifth and final pick, um, I'm going with two-time Ring of Honor world champion Jay Briscoe. So some might consider Jay as more of a tag team wrestler. Of course, he's synonymous in his tag team, the Briscoe brothers with his brother Mark. Uh, but Jay is a former two-time Ring of Honor world champion with a combined number of days, 375 days amongst his two reigns. So uh, he, he beat, uh, he was the man that dethroned Kevin Steen after his lengthy reign with Jay's first reign lasting only three months. Um, he, he did have a successful title defences against the likes of Adam Cole, his own brother Mark Briscoe, Matt Hardy, until he was stripped of the title after suffering an injury which kept him out of action for six months. Uh, When he did return from injury, he got into a feud with Adam Cole, which culminated in a, a unification uh, ladder match, I understand, which Cole won. However, in September 2014, Briscoe did win his second ROH World title, defeating Michael Elgin uh, in the start of a, a lengthy 286-day reign, his second reign, uh, where he finally lost the championship to Jay Lee for the following June in 2015. So my number five pick and the, kind of the final entry into our ultimate top 15 is Jay Briscoe. So uh um, Oliver, your, your thoughts on Jay Briscoe and my my number fifth, my number five pick. Sorry. Yeah, um, another <laughs> instance where I was a lapsed fan, so you, you probably need Stephen's opinion, but I'll try. Um, much much like Jay Lethal, you know, we, we said this on the show and stuff. Not sure if he would have been ROH World Champion if there was someone else, uh, and that's not meant in a disrespectful way. I got a lot of time and, and respect for Jay Briscoe. 
but after watching the, the star spotlight on the Briscoe brothers, um, got even more respect for them. You know, siblings growing up wanting to be wrestlers and champions and stuff, and then actually seeing some of the matches uh, that he was involved in uh, to, to become the ROH World Champion on those two occasions that you've mentioned. Um, you know, you, you, you talked about it, well, you haven't talked about it on here, but we, we talked about it from like WCW days and stuff and the cruiserweights making it through and what have you. And this is much like Jay Lee for one of those instances where guys from, um, you know, so-called lower down the card had, had made it through and smashed the glass ceiling. And you've got to be happy with that as a fan, I think. Um, you know, so uh, Jay Briscoe is you know really uh worthy of, of being in the top 15 like i said i was a laps fan but i'm sure Stephen will back up the claim of him being in the top 15 Stephen, uh, give us your thoughts on uh jay briscoe as a former ring of honor world champion yeah uh jay briscoe fought in the first ever world uh, ring of honor match uh we're against amazing red true ring of honor original uh since then wrestled you know, with brother Mark throughout the entire history of Ring of Honor, made his name as a tag team champion, the greatest Ring of Honor tag team champion with his brother, and then breaking out into the singles um, sort of reign, were, sorry, singles uh, matches was something which a lot of people um, were surprised about, I think, including myself at that point. Um, he'd ha- he'd be always been the bridesmaid, never been the bride in the sense that he'd fought for the championship for so long. And that moment when he finally won the belt in the Hammerstein ballroom against Kevin Steen. I'm not ashamed to say this on air as well, that I did cry because he was a man who I had a heck of a lot of respect for. And that feud between himself and Kevin Steen and the history between those teams and that match wasn't the greatest technical match or the greatest, like match in terms of you know five star classics but the emotion and the history was so heated but yet so wonderful it was something where you felt proud to be a fan of a company for so long and followed two men who've grown and are both champion world champions and from there jay just went on a tear then you know he had the great matches against adam cole he had as you mentioned bj whitmer Matt Hardy, his promos were always or are always heated and wonderful. And then again, when he when he lost the championship um, due to injury, the bitterness didn't it incorporated into the storyline. So a lot like the Shawn Michaels Razor Ramon situation back in '94 with the fake belt and the true Intercontinental Champion, mm. as you mentioned, with the ladder match for the two belts, that storyline arc, and then. You know, from there, he then won the belt finally against Elgin in Canada and the crowd and himself were shocked. I'll always remember that expression, what Jay had when he won the title for a second time, the shock on his expression, like, oh my God, I'm second time world champion, what's happening? Um, It was just a great time and Jay then again went on another great reign with the matches again against Adam Cole, the matches against um, Roderick Strong, um Jay Lethal as we mentioned he he really paid his dues he really held the championship like a great world champion a rounded individual a rounded wrestler put the time and the effort in and definitely deserves to be on this list as one of the top 15 ring of honor world champions 
Yeah, so, so let's go through the top 15 there. So Oliver's five picks were Austin Aries, James Gibson, CM Punk, Xavier, and Lowkey. Stevens were Brian Danielson, Nigel McGuinness, Samoa Joe, Jay Lethal, and Takeshi Morishima. Uh, and mine, I started with uh, Kevin Steen going into PCO, Ben Cody, Davey Richards, and Jay Briscoe. So that's our top 15. Guys, what do you think of our 15 picks? Uh, I think it's a pretty solid list. I mean, you haven't got Tyler Black in there or Adam Cole, I'm sure. You know, had we have uh, created a, a top 20 or maybe had longer to talk about it, we probably would have included them. But uh, a pretty handy top 15, I think. Uh, Oliver, you, your thoughts on our list as a whole? I think what's what's really uh, strange about it is the people who are not in the list, as yeah. you just mentioned. But... Um, it just goes to show how important the ROH title or world title as it become is in the professional wrestling landscape. You ha- you are somebody if you've been ROH world champion and some of the people who are not in the list who, who deserve to be in the list, but obviously it's opinion. Um, but then the people who have made it into the top 15 list, hopefully they see this as being a huge accolade. Yeah, indeed. And uh, Stephen, your your thoughts on the list that we've created? Yeah, um, I think it's as complete as it could be. I think one thing what's telling is that we've chosen champions from the entire history of the company. We haven't, you know, chosen champions from a particular period of time. I mean, one of the advantages of Ring of Honor World Champions is they do have very long reigns for, you know, in some cases, you know, a year or, you know, six months. So it does help to show a period of time in a company. So I think it kind of, if anyone wants to get acquainted with Ring of Honor uh, throughout its entire history, you could pick any of these reigns for a particular year and you could see, excuse me, not only the champion's reign, but also around that, the particular, um, the company at that particular time. So yeah, I think it's as complete as it it could be. So no qualms at all. Absolutely. But um, I think I mentioned at the top of the show, I mean, ROH has got a long and storied uh, career um, history. It's been going for 18 years. But, you know, when you look at talent that have com- come through Ring of Honor um, and not been their world champion, they might have won other championships amongst, uh, you know, in their stay with Ring of Honor. But are there any kind of wrestlers that have had quite a storied career in Ring of Honor that didn't quite get the big belt, that didn't? have the opportunity as world champion that, that's maybe surprising to you when you look back at it. Any, any wrestlers that kind of jump out at you? I mean, starting with you, Oliver, uh, anybody in particular you, you thought, you know, should have had their opportunities as a Ring of Honor world champion? Well, in all honesty, this one's going to shock you all to the core. <sighs> um, hmm, I wonder who's going to pick. Uh, Paul London, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, he... You know, since, uh, you know, debuting in the company and quite quickly becoming a fan favorite, showing he's a daredevil who will risk it all um, in that aforementioned street fight against Michael Shane with the broken ladder and the shooting star press. Um, Those incredible matches he had against Xavier that I mentioned in in Xavier's part of this uh, podcast. Um, you know, incredible triple threat match with Loki and AJ Styles from the first anniversary show, which is one of the best triple threat matches uh, that you'll ever see. Um, and then, yeah, he, he just he just couldn't get to 
the the pinnacle and and like like I said before he uh, he lost to Samoa Joe on his his last um, night in the company first time around he's come back since uh, uh, me and Stephen have talked about this uh, Davy Richards landed on his face at Border Wars um, <laughs> <laughs> and then he was in the RH World Title Tournament uh, wrestled uh, Roderick Strong and uh, Michael Elgin. I think one. I think the strong match was on TV, and the Elgin match was in the tournament, and was due to come back in some capacity at past versus present before, uh, you know, it got cancelled on the uh, the day before, uh, much to my chagrin. So um, yeah, a a healthy, well rested. Um, Paul London, who who wants to be involved in wrestling because he's he's now chasing a, an acting dream, which is you know more power to him. Um, yeah, back in 2002, 2003, could have easily been ROH uh, champion, um, and and would have been well worthy of it, mm. and could have, could have been ROH world champion in the title, the aforementioned title tournament. And yeah, he he can still go. It's just whether he wants to. So um, if Paul London was to rejoin the uh, the ROH roster uh, in 2020, uh, that is a goal, an aspiration, and a dream on his mind. And it would be fantastic to see him fulfil it. Yeah, that'd be another fairy tale kind of story, really, wouldn't it? Um, we've spoken about Cody and PCO and, you know, uh, achieving their dreams after being in the business for so many years. And uh, that would be a great fairy tale for Paul London. But uh, what about yourself, Stephen? Any kind of wrestlers that really jump out at you as kind of getting so close, being in the title picture so many times, but never quite getting the big one? Yeah, um, I mean, there's definitely uh, several. Uh, the phenomenal AJ Styles was a guy who, you know, was um, in Ring of Honor for several years, had great Ring of Honor World Championship matches, but never was able to win the big one. Um, made his name in TNA and in New Japan in the latter part of his career, and now obviously is in WWE. So he never won that big World Championship in uh, Ring of Honor, yeah. um, which I think has always disappointed me. Um, but he's made up for it in other companies, thankfully. Um, Jimmy Rave, who was part of the Embassy, who was the who is definitely the most hated heel in the history of Ring of Honor, was a guy who at one point. Um, would have made a fantastic evil Ring of Honor world champion. Um, he would have definitely um, brought another level of character and um, disdain for the champion in the company, which I think would have been really exciting and different for a time when it was all about respect and all about you know good sportsmanship and the code of honor and things. So there's definitely Jimmy Rave. And the last man who I'll really stands out to me. Stephen, oh, one sorry. second. You've got to tell John about the fact that when he was in a wrestling ring, the fans pelted toilet paper on him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So instead of uh, streamers being thrown at him, as is tradition in Japanese wrestling in Ring of Honor, um, the Ring of Honor fans would be kind enough to throw toilet paper as streamers on uh, Jimmy Rave and the Embassy, <laughs> 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 just to show how they hated he was. <laughs> uh, not nowadays, um, because we're... You know, we, we, it's a rare commodity toilet paper. So we'll it's just sacred. Up. It's sacred. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the the last wrestler who always uh, 
stands out to me who I think would have made a great world champion had he been given the chance was um, Jimmy uh, Jimmy Jacobs, son of a Jimmy. But mm-hmm. Jimmy Jacobs became the um, leader of the Age of the Fall. So around uh, September 2007, he led probably the most prominent heel stable in the history of Ring of Honor in the Age of the Fall, which Tyler Black, a.k.a. Seth Rollins, was also part of. And his character and his... Um, again, his aura would have lent itself so well to being a heel character in Ring of Honor. Like, even if he didn't have a long reign as world champion, just for him to win the belt once would have been brilliant. You know, and he had a great feud before that with BJ Whitmer, which again was very heated and very violent. And I think he definitely earned the right to be a Ring of Honor world champion. It just never really came to be. So they're definitely the three guys, I would say, who I was always disappointed have never held the Ring of Honor World Championship. AJ Styles, Jimmy Rave, and uh, Jimmy Jacobs. Well, there we go. Listen, gentlemen, Oliver and, and Stephen, uh, I've had you for long enough, but it's been it's been a real blast and a, and a ride through the history of Ring of Honor. Um, I've certainly learned a lot, and I've really, really enjoyed uh, with you two presenting our top 15, our ultimate uh, Ring of Honor World Champions, and uh, it, it's been good fun. I hope you two have enjoyed it too. But before we let you go, it's a, an opportunity for you to uh, throw out any plugs, any social media handles, uh, any books, uh, any podcasts, where we can <laughs> find you, where we can reach out to you and say hi. But uh, uh, Stephen, do you want to kick us off with any handles or anything you want to throw out to my listeners any plugs where we can get in touch reach out and say hi yeah definitely yeah um unlike our um podcast um you can find me on uh, twitter at uh, stj215 um as we used to mention in the early days of the roh review if you have any hate mail you can send that across <laughs> my way or any hatred for ring of honor you can send it my way at stj215 um and you can also find my writings with um the wrestling estate so i write for um, a wrestling news website called The Wrestling Estate. So you can find us on Twitter uh, at The Wrestling EST. Um, my most recent article was a top 10 WCW cruiserweight champions of all time. Um, and before that, I had an exclusive interview with South uh, Southern Pro Wrestling New Zealand star Will Power. Um, so yeah, you can definitely find me on there. So each week we cover WWE, TNA, Ring of Honor. We have a monthly newsletter, and each week we take part in a weekly roundtable where we um, each get a set of questions and answer them, and we all contribute to the uh, to the topic. So that's where I'd say to check me out. And Oliver. Yeah, and for myself, I'm a free time pro wrestling author. Um, I've done a book on British wrestling with ROH elements in it, so that's the fans' perspective, one man's exploration of British wrestling. I've done a, a WWE book with ROH fingerprints on it, so uh, that's called a fans' perspective. Uh, 2016, what a year to be a fan of WWE. And I've done a, a WrestleMania 24 kind of Paul London fantasy booking. I was in Orlando for the ROH double shot. Uh, book which is a fan's perspective how my lifelong dream became a nightmare and yeah if this is the, the same instance uh, to, to talk about the uh, twitter for the ROH review and stuff uh, yeah. definitely send your hate mail to DJ215 <laughs> but, uh, for, for the ROH review we are on twitter at ROH review we are on instagram at ROH review we're on facebook uh, facebook.com forward slash ROH review 2019 we have a YouTube channel that hopefully you'll put in the description John 
Indeed. And we have uh, an email for suggestions, comments, and feedback, which is rohreviewoutlook.com. There we go. It's absolutely fantastic. And, and as you mentioned, I will put uh, as many of those uh, links and handles into the description of this podcast. Just click into the description and you'll find everything there to uh, get to know and say hi to Oliver and Stephen and all their great work um, at one click away. But uh, thank you, gentlemen. I really, really appreciate your, your time and your effort and your contribution to this very special episode. Like I say, at the very top of the episode, I said I've, there's two things I haven't done, haven't spoken much about uh, Ring of Honor in all uh, 130 plus episodes of uh, Wrestling with Jonas and and uh, certainly haven't done an episode where we kind of look at uh, a particular championship and try to uh, boil down the best champions within that championship. So I really, really enjoyed this with you, gentlemen. And uh, if I decide to do a Ring of Honor episode sometime in the future, I'd love to get you two back on. But uh, there we go. Thank you. No, you're yeah. welcome. Thank you. There we go. Yeah, so, uh, absolutely. We'd and, love and to just, do that. Just, just before we go, um, just got to mention this as well. Um, as you've had uh, Nick and Chris on, we're, we're so very proud to be part of the Broken But Boreas Wrestling Podcast Network. Yeah. And if it wasn't for them and, and obviously the listeners and stuff, the growth wouldn't be as good as it's been. So uh, thank you to Broken But Glorious Wrestling Podcast and to everyone who supported the Wage Review. I mean, we wouldn't be here on a Friday night talking to you for two and a half, well, two and a bit hours about Ring of Honor if, you know, those <laughs> things hadn't happened. So. We're, we we're very humbled that everyone supported us from November 2019. Yeah, I mean, you, you guys, the whole team at Broken But Glorious do a fantastic job. So uh, I recommend all my listeners to go and check out all of the shows there as part of the team. But uh, please keep it tuned to the Wrestling With Jonas podcast. And if you've enjoyed listening to this show, please don't forget to spread the word. Tell your friends and tell your family. Don't forget to hit that ever important subscribe button on whatever channel you're listening to this on. Uh, or if you're watching it on YouTube, uh, so please uh, hit that subscribe button subscribe button so you don't miss out on a single episode but once again thanks to oliver and thanks to steven for being a fantastic uh, guest on the rest of the podcast thanks everybody for listening enjoy your weekend and we'll catch up with you all again soon